guys well let's go ahead and uh, get started shall we let's get started uh, since Greg's here Greg can I ask you to open us in prayer Amen. Well, uh, thanks for coming out, everybody. Um, I uh, This is a bit different than what I've done here before. I think uh, pretty much everything that I've done here at the church in the past has been uh, sermons of one kind or another. And this is not going to be a sermon. Uh, so some of you may know that I have many, many, many years of experience as a university instructor. And so that's, that's kind of the concept that I've taken, not the university part, because you might already be eyeing the door, um, but rather just that we're, instead of it being like a, sort of a devotional thing mainly, oh, we'll have devotional elements. Uh, instead, our goal is to try to get our heads around a set of ideas. So that's, that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, I think I know everybody here pretty much, but if I don't know you, hi, I'm Dave. Uh, and uh, I, my wife and I are members here at Beaumont Baptist Church, um, and I am available for any type of questions that you might have about the course. Uh, we may set up an online course center uh, later, like a Google Classrooms kind of a thing, and that would just be so that you could go there, get recordings, get PowerPoints, kind of look through stuff. Uh, I often put more resources on there, but I don't have anything at this moment. We are recording this uh, on audio right now and possibly also on video. Yeah, it could, it could be. We don't know. Only the Lord knows at this point. Uh, which is a great segue into our course. Uh, so, so we'll find out later. But if not, you know, then uh, hopefully we'll be able to get video set up. But at least we have audio for today for sure. Um, and uh, we may also adjust the seating arrangements a bit in future weeks. I, there's a direct line between some of you and me and the screen, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, but uh, just try your best, because I can't move very far here. So uh, what are we going to do here? Uh, this is a course plan, but again, no, you don't have to sign up for it. There's no, you know, no tests or anything like that. Uh, but we do have 12 weeks planned uh, to give to this, and it's going to kind of go in a line, and we're going to try to... Uh, start at the beginning and get our heads around some big ideas here. So I just want to talk about this a little bit. Our topic for this uh, time is uh, what's called eschatology. And I don't have it. I should have had it written here, but I don't. Um, eschatology is a big theology word, uh, which you may or may not be familiar with. It means uh, the doctrine or the, the theology of last things. But that's a little bit, as we're going to see, in some ways that can be a little bit misleading. And so instead, I, I want to encourage you guys to think about this as a discussion of the theology of the future. What does the Bible tell us about 
the future. And uh, we're going to talk about that from a number of different angles. Because last things can sort of imply that maybe we'll never get to them. Maybe it will never be relevant for me. Uh, but that's not true, as we're going to see in our discussions. What we have here is uh, material that is really, really relevant, really, really even very compelling and important for every Christian. So today, our goal is to try to get our heads around the concept. And then, just briefly, I want to run through some of the other things that we're planning to talk about. And uh, saying that we're going to do this every Tuesday for 12 weeks at the beginning is easy. There's a great verse in the historical books, maybe you know it, where uh, <clears throat> there's a, a fight between Saul and a pagan king, and the pagan king is making all these threats, and Saul says, don't let the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off, right? So it's easy to talk big before the fight. Uh, same for schedules, man. So it's like, we're going to do 12 weeks every Tuesday for sure. Check back in April. We'll see what happens. But, uh, but this is at least the concept. So uh, what we're, some of the things we're going to plan to talk about in future weeks uh, is filling out this big story, the story of humanity, creation, and God, uh, for which our topic is super, super important. We're going to talk about your personal future, the future of individuals, and we're especially going to reflect on death. So what, is, what does the Bible talk to us about death? What is the theology of death? Something that uh, I, I think we often rarely, rarely think about, very remote from us, unless uh, something happens in our lives to make us think about it. Uh, we're going to talk about a history of the future, what Christians have believed throughout uh, church history and why that's important for us today. And then we're going to spend uh, a few weeks, I think I have, oh, that's split, so let's go back. I think I have three here talking about this question, which kind of sits at the middle. Why is this particular branch of theology so difficult? Because if you know anything about eschatology, if you've ever tried to read anything or you know, do anything with eschatology, or maybe you haven't because you've heard that this is like really complicated and hard to figure out sort of stuff. Well, that's a real thing. And so we're going to talk a lot about why that's the case. And as we talk about that, I hope that you will uh, discover that that makes it much easier to deal with rather than harder. Um, so what, why is it difficult? How do we connect these texts? And then we're going to talk about the way that people come to uh, their understanding about what the Bible says on the future. And there are really three big directions that Christians have gone with this uh, over the course of Christian history. Uh, and these might be words that are familiar to you. The first one is amillennialism. The second one, postmillennialism. And the third one is premillennialism. And what we're going to see is that each of these is uh, a, a way of thinking about future things that pulls together a ton of stuff. None of them is uh, something that you just kind of grab on your way out of the Bible. Like, oh, I'll do this one. Um, instead, they are very highly integrated ways of thinking. So we'll, but we'll talk about that later because we can't profitably discuss it without talking about this other stuff first, right? So sometimes people are like, let's start, tell me who the Antichrist is. Well, no, we, we can't start there. Right? You're going to be all wrong if you start there. Um, and then we have, God willing, a couple weeks uh, on uh, eternity, the, the uh, resurrection and final judgment, and then new creation and beyond. So that's kind of our, our big sketch of what we're going to try to accomplish. 
And uh, some of these things probably will bend a little bit, but that's, that's that. And we'll come back to that in a second. In terms of uh, any given Tuesday, uh, Lord willing, we are going to pray together. We're going to try to pull back a little bit of what we discussed from the previous week. Uh, and then we'll talk about the topic for the day. And then we're going to try to make something of it uh, in our own personal Christian lives. Because, like I said at the beginning, these things are not things that are very remote from us. These are not things that are very far away from us. Um, But they can seem that way if we don't take the time to connect them to where we're living. So I want us to try to take a little bit of time to do that every day. This Today, as the first day, our timings are probably going to be a little little bumpy. So we'll see see where we get. But uh, my goal is that they won't be waiting for us and and we won't be waiting for them and that will all be perfect. Uh, And then at the end, we will pray. Sometimes we'll sing a hymn because guess what? There are some super awesome hymns on eschatology and uh, maybe you don't know some of them. In fact, I would say that during our year and a half at Beaumont, we have sung... Maybe none of the ones that I've selected, which is a fantastic opportunity for you. So uh, all kinds of good stuff, because hymns are a wonderful way to take a truth from the scripture and kind of put it through yourself. You know, it's like praying the scripture. You just take that and you kind of put it back out. So uh, we'll, we'll do that as, as the day comes. Normally, this is the slot in the lesson where we would have a review of what we talked about last time, but there was no last time. Uh, So instead, let me ask you guys on the front end, why are you here? Uh, Because I thought there would be like six people here. Um, And so, and some of you I know don't have young children that you brought to the children's activity. So, (laughs) I mean, that's an excuse, right? Uh, But uh, for the rest of you, uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, what is it you're hoping to gain from our time together because uh, I would like to help answer those questions. And uh, so I just want to ask everyone, just take a second. If you've got, you know, a a notebook or a a phone or something like that, uh, just jot a thought or two down. Like, why are you here? What is it that you want to learn? Do you have something specific in mind? Uh, Or not. Maybe you were just brought here because I have a great beard and you just love looking at it. I can understand. But otherwise, take, take your pen, take your pencil, and just write down, hey, what am I doing? Like, what am I hoping to learn? Take a second. We'll take one minute for that. A useful exercise for us. You too, Coco. If, perchance, you have not thought about that question until this moment... Try now. And if, you're, if your only answer is to see if Dave is a heretic, that's okay. You can write that down.
Okay. Now, here is your big chance. Uh, would you like to share some of the things that you want to learn? Not because this is like a sharing circle, but because if you don't, I won't know, and then I might not include that. <laughs> so this is a great opportunity for you to kind of say, hey, what are, we, what are we looking for here? Somebody, give me your thoughts. Why are you here? Yeah. Okay, well, I can answer that one right now. I, I didn't even know it was here, so. No, that one's, that one's out. I just had a clearer overall understanding of religion. Okay. Just, just general, clear understanding. It's not touched on very much, so can't learn any less than I have. Good, yeah. I want to learn to see all my ideas fitting with yours. Okay. Sure, yeah, that's always very profitable. Yeah, to see what I'm standing on. Yeah, you got some things you picked yeah. up. You're not sure how they compare. Hadrian? Okay, good, good, yep. Uh, revelation has always intrigued me, and um, I'm not an academic, so I need to learn by other people's input. Okay, good, yep. I think like, in some of the learning I've tried to do on this subject, it comes across very much like most people are teaching, this is my point, and this is why everyone else is stupid and heretics. So I kind of appreciate that you had all three positions listed initially. With the I left all the stupids out of the outline. Yeah, the, sure. It's mostly just me shouting. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So I just was like, yeah, so that's what intrigued me more, was kind of a flush out of all three positions and kind of a more rounded scope rather than just singling it on one. Okay. That, well, we'll spend uh, um, a significant time connected to that thought. So, yeah. Our, our church's uh, statement of faith uh, says that there's one of those views that we like the most. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I do. And I only say that. I, I was, um, only recently have I actually started to untangle some of the complexities that you touch on. Mm -hmm. And I felt myself leaning towards a different position. And so I'm curious if what you present, because I, I think you also, um, contrary to what Ryan just said, I think, I think you uh, are firmly in one camp. And I'm curious how that will kind of influence what's been stirring in me. Yeah, no, that's great, Jeff. Uh, and, and so I think often when we think about the doctrine of the future, we think about eschatology, we think about like the, these big positions and kind of like picking a side. But the truth is we're not even going to get there for several weeks. Uh, and I think that, that what can happen frequently is these other elements about how the Bible presents the future to us can get like completely skipped over, you know. Um, in that, and so I want to make sure that we're really developing. No, we, we will get to that. I, I'm not saying I. Um, I know I know of a couple of pastors who had to leave their churches because there was a disagreement on this sure. theological uh, category, right? Eschatology. Yeah. yeah. And it's caused some pain. Well, and I'll just I'll just tell everyone right at the beginning. I have cleared this with Pastor Nate. So we're, we're not, I'm not going to be secretly arming you guys in here, you know, and we're going to go back and take the church back. 
none of that is happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, good. Uh, anything else? <clears throat> anything else anybody wants to mention? Yeah, Colleen. I think it's we need to explore what is still coming for us, right? mm -hmm. So it's neat to see in God's word prophecies that have Sure. Um, or understand a lot of what is coming. So, yeah, it's on a more personal level. Good. Good. All right. Well, so let's let's kind of dive in a little bit then. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I want to say is, Pastor Nate said, said one thing deeply wrong on Sunday. And that was that there was no homework. Uh, technically, there's no homework. Everyone always blows my homework off anyway. I've taught this. I've taught this course twice at the college level. And they were like, oh, you have all these students on it. I was like, great, I got all these wonderful assignments. They're like, oh, they're all audit students. Yeah, so. so then I gave a big speech to the audit students, like, do the homework, it'll be so helpful for you. And everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I never got any homework. So it's cool, fine, I've made my peace with that. Uh, but it, I do want to encourage you guys to do some reading specifically of the Bible, uh, because that will really help. Like we're going to talk, but this is not a sermon. I am not, and this is not a, a course on Revelation. Okay. So uh, I will talk about Revelation. We will be in the Bible every week, but I'm not preaching through a text in detail. We are not going to spend extended time reading except for like a couple points. Um, this is talking about things that we're, that we're drawing from the text. And so it will be really helpful for each of us if, uh, if you, you know, think about changing up your Bible reading to include this. Whether it's adding, you don't have to add, I'm not telling anybody to add. I mean, you could add, that'd be fine, but you don't have to. Uh, but maybe consider adapting your reading. If you want to read uh, the, the key passages on eschatology, what should you read? You should read Revelation, Okay. This would be a great time. Just pause. You know, you're in like Exodus right now or something. Just hit the pause button. Go read Revelation. And I put these in, in suggested order. Read Revelation. If you read Revelation, read Daniel. Daniel's a lot shorter than Revelation. Uh, read Daniel after that. Then read Romans after that. Romans has so much key uh, text on the theology of the future. Then there's this, there, it's scattered throughout our Lord's teachings, but there's a single section. It's often called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, Matthew 23 to 25, that is extremely important for our understanding of the future. Read that one. That will take you like half an hour. Uh, you could read the, the back half of Jeremiah 30 to 55, which is the center of the new covenant uh, in the Old Testament. And then finally, the, fir, the, the two, first and second Thessalonians, uh, in which the Apostle Paul deals with a range of issues about the Thessalonians' misunderstanding of future things. I would just really encourage everybody, go ahead, feel free. You don't have to, right? I'm, I'm, I don't want to make anyone feel like, oh, Dave told me how to do it. You don't have to do it. But feel free to pause your Bible reading and read these uh, over the next 
you know, month or so. Uh, it's not that much overall. It's pretty small. Revelation is the biggest chunk. And you can read Revelation out loud in about an hour and 45 minutes. So feel free. That will really help you. That's the only real homework that I, I'm going to suggest. I have beautiful papers. It's so helpful for your thinking. If you're interested, talk to me. Right. Uh, and I, if you're interested in books, of course, I can recommend books. But we're not going to do any of that stuff here. Okay? All right. So uh, this is our key topic for the night. And that is, why, why does all this matter? Like, what is the point of the doctrine of the future? What are we talking about even? What is the doctrine of the future? Because it's not the same as the book of Revelation. Some of you might have even taken a class. I, I know the college has a class, Revelation, uh, Daniel and Revelation, where they go through these two books together. And yeah, there's a lot of connection between that and, Revel and um, eschatology and the doctrine of the future, but they're not the same thing, right? So what even are we talking about? There are two key elements, two parts in the Bible's teaching about the future that we're going to discuss. The first one is what we could call your future. You, you the individual. What is your future going to be? Because the Bible has a lot to say about that. Sometimes uh, in theological writings, this is called personal eschatology. Um, and this one is super, super practical uh, because you have a future. Uh, you're not going to stay on Tuesday evening forever. Things are going to happen and all of us uh, are going through our lives to some destination. And so that destination, the Bible has a lot to say about. That's a key part of what we're talking about. The second one is what people usually think about when we talk about eschatology or the doctrine of the future or last things. And that is the future of everything. This is sometimes called corporate eschatology, which means like everybody together. But I feel like that term is too weak, which is why I've called it here cosmic cosmic eschatology because the bible tells us that the future of all people is connected with the future of literally everything in a very 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 close and integrated way so the bible talks to us about you and me specifically and it also talks to us about everyone and everything together and these these are the two things uh, that we're going to give our time to we're going to mainly we're going to focus more it's going to be a little bit a little bit here and there depending on the text as we approach them. But we're going to focus more and first on some elements of personal eschatology, uh, your own personal future, and then we're going to spend time talking about everything together. Um, why is this important? I think that probably I've never seen it put better in a very short sentence than what A.W. Tozer said. He said, the past is gone forever and the present is passing as swift as the shadow on the sundial of Ahaz. Even if the earth should continue a million years, not one of us could stay to enjoy it. We do well to think of the long tomorrow. That is really where we are at. Because the Bible says to us that there is a tomorrow and that tomorrow is massively longer than today. That today is extremely preliminary, but extremely important. 
And so getting ourselves into the right frame of mind about this moment that we're here in this age is, I think, so, so crucial for us. I think Tozer really puts it well. So let's start then by trying to place everything uh, into a, a, a single context, okay? How, how does this fit into our thinking? Um, when people think about the doctrine of the future, often, you know, a lot of people here said, well, I feel like I don't understand it. I feel like I don't really have a good handle on it. So I'm just trying to learn more about it. And often I think when we think about eschatology, it's like, well, yeah, that's the part of the Bible that's really weird and confusing. Like, oh, tell me what eschatology is. That's the weird stuff. That's what that is, right? If it's really weird, it's probably something about eschatology. I don't know. Nobody knows that stuff. Okay, so that may be what we're thinking about it. Um, sometimes it's a little bit more unpleasant than that. Maybe it's the stuff that like your one family member is really way too into. I don't, and I don't know if this has happened to you or not, but this has happened to me. I remember when my wife and I were first married, going to meet one of her, uh, you know, kind of groups of extended family where they lived in Pennsylvania. And I, I walked in the door and they're like, oh, hey, this is aunt so-and-so and this is uncle so-and-so and this is, and she said, this is uncle Honeybear, literally. It's not his legal name, but apparently that's what everyone called him, Uncle Honeybear. And I said, hey, Uncle Honeybear, I'm, I'm uh, Desiree's husband. I'm so happy to meet you. And he said, yeah, well, sit down there, Dave. And I said, thanks. And he said, well, I've been studying out revelations. First words out of his mouth. And I did not feel hugely encouraged by that opening. I said, oh, and he said, yep. I am not making this up, you guys. Yep, I reckon Obama's the Antichrist. I just met this guy. <laughs> uh, maybe that's your experience <laughs> with eschatology. Uh, that you know people for whom it is a pathology. And you wish to avoid that. Uh, good news, it doesn't have to be pathological. And I hope that we can recover some of that for us. Or maybe it's not that you think it's so weird or, you know, so damaging. It's just not very important, right? It's something that's kind of out there. It doesn't really matter. People have different ideas. It doesn't really go anywhere or whatever. Who cares? You know, if you get a degree in seminary, you, you got to know this. I want to encourage us to, uh, to think about it differently. I want us to think about the doctrine of future things as occupying this specific place, that the Bible communicates a story about the world and about humanity to us. And that the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of future things is the end of that story, right? So we've got this kind of history of humanity, this kind of story about humanity that's unfolding. What is eschatology? Eschatology is the conclusion of that story. Um, in theology terms, uh, here's a, a theology word for you to make you feel like you really spent your evening well. Uh, this is called a meta narrative. Now, you might have heard this before. Uh, when we first joined the church, uh, I think um, uh, Dr. Arnold, Joel, was was uh, doing some classes about meta-narrative. So you might have encountered this before. The meta-narrative 
uh, is a word that means it's a big story that's made up of smaller stories, right? Uh, and people, you know, you might hear that and you might think, oh yeah, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? We got, you got your various superheroes, but there's also like a big, and you have to pay a lot of money to see a lot of movies to find out what happens to the big guy and stuff like that. It's not like that. Like that's a very, very small, that's a very, uh, a, <laughs> a weak attempt <laughs> uh, at something like this. Rather, what the Bible communicates to us is that there is a single, a single history, a single story that's unfolding in the will of God, that God is authoring a story about this universe, about us, about humanity. And it involves all of us. But it's not just a story about important people over there doing important things, that actually this story is made up of and closely implicates each one of us, that you and I and every other human being that's ever lived has a meaningful part to play in this story. And so in that sense, it's more like a tapestry. I remember once I was in France and they had these huge tapestries, larger than this garage door, covering walls. And they had taken thousands, untold thousands of hours to create, made of tiny little threads. They're so small, you really had to get close to them to see them. But each one contributed to the picture. That's really weak sauce compared to the biblical meta-narrative. Because all of us, all people and places and events are drawn up into this thing that God is creating. That's, that's what we're talking about. And we see the outlines of that story in the Bible. And outlines is important, right? Because there's different ways to talk about stories. Again, I'm, and I'm talking about fictional stories, uh, but it works the same way, whether the story is fictional or not. There's different ways to talk about stories. Sometimes people talk about themes, right? Like, what's the story about? Let's take a story probably familiar to all of us, like um, Harry Potter, right? You guys like Harry Potter? She likes it. She's like, yeah. I hate Harry Potter. Uh, but my wife loves it. My sisters love it. My dad loves it. He's gone through the Harry Potter series like 10 times, something ridiculous like that. I don't know. So that's okay. They're good people. I, you know, I respect their choices. What's Harry Potter about? Well, you can talk about it different ways, right? You could say like, oh, oh she's, <laughs> she's got the answer. Good, good. Uh, <laughs> it's about, you know, like the power of friendship. Like these people work together to support each other and fight monsters and stuff. Or, or um, it's about how despite being fantastically rich, you can spend all your time complaining which is what I think Harry Potter is about. It's all he does is whine constantly. Um, you know, there's like different themes. And often when we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about these themes, right? It's like, oh, the Bible is about God's love. Or the Bible is about like uh, sin and salvation. And those are all themes, but that's not what I want us to kind of focus on at this moment. What I want us to focus on instead is like the outline, the question of like what happens in this story. So what happens in Harry Potter is not the power of friendship. It's like this kid goes to this school and immediately becomes fantastically wealthy and then has adventures, but he complains because people are mean to him, right? And it's so sad, he's so rich. Uh, 
and, 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 you know, then monsters come and the teachers are dreadfully negligent and blah, blah, blah. That's what happens in the story. Same kind of thing when we're talking about the big, the big picture, the big story, the meta narrative. Not only in the Bible, but anywhere. We're asking ourselves when we look at these topics, like what's happening in our story? What's happening in, in the biggest picture story? Where is all this going? <coughs> we're talking about um, the Bible and we're talking about theology tonight. But I think it's important for us to understand that everybody has an answer to that question. Right? Like you're a Christian. I assume that almost all of us here are Christians. But even if you're not a Christian, you still have an answer to this question. What's happening and where is all this going? Everybody has an answer to that question of some kind. Here's a really, really common one. Here's one that you're likely to encounter in a lot of places. And a lot of different versions of this answer exist. Uh, what's happening is that there was nothing and then inexplicably there was something. And so where did we all, where, did, where does the story start? It starts in nothing. It comes from nowhere. And then what happens is there's, there's a lot of meaningless suffering in the middle, right? These, these people are on the scene. Humanity exists, but people suffer in a lot of ways. They can't understand why they're suffering. Other people either don't want to or can't prevent their suffering. There are good things. There are bad things. It all happens basically randomly, right? And that's where we are in this story now. A lot of people are going to give an answer like that. And then if you ask, okay, where is it going? Where are we going with this story? There are in general two kind of flavors of answer. One is, well, we're going to keep working on this project and things are going to improve. And in the end, we'll, we'll take control of the universe. Right? We'll be gods. That's the, I mean, people don't usually put it like that. It's a fairly bold position to say those words out loud. But that's the concept is like, okay, we're experiencing this suffering. We can't understand how it's organized. We can't choose whether we suffer or we don't suffer. But if we keep at it, we, we've actually made a significant amount of progress toward avoiding suffering and, and extending non-suffering. And so if we can keep going in that direction, eventually we'll win the game. We'll have the cheat codes. We'll run the show, right? Or the alternative, uh, we're just, we're going to annihilate ourselves, <laughs> right? That's the alternative. We know this whole project is doomed. We cannot succeed. All of the things that we experience now, whether there is suffering or non-suffering, whether there's beauty or, or ugliness or emptiness, it's all going to come to nothing. And everybody except for the most deluded individuals, agrees that this story, at least on an individual level, is going to mean that everyone is going to die. And, and the majority of people who are going to give an answer like this will assume that that's it. You're going to die. You're going to be forgotten. Everything's going to come. Nothing matters. Nothing matters anyway. 
right? Comes from nowhere. There's a big crashing around in the middle that can't be made sense of. Maybe, maybe in the future things will get better. Probably they'll get worse. But in the long run, you're dead and, and no one cares about you. And you don't matter at all. And I don't matter at all. Happy Tuesday. (laughs) That's a really common answer. That answer embraces um, many ways of thinking and living that are around us. But this, this is not the answer to that question that the Bible gives. Because the Bible does tell a story about humanity. And since eschatology and the doctrine of future things is the end of that story, it is going to be super beneficial for us to make sure that we start with that story firmly in mind, that we have a sense of that story clearly in our heads. Because what we're going to see as we go forward, you know, every good story that's ever been told raises issues as you go along throughout the story and then... Uh, in, in storytelling terms, we say that you pay them off, right? So you have this conflict that happens, and then later that conflict is resolved. You have this problem that occurs, you have this important element, and people are like, what's the deal with this element? And you don't know, like, why, why is this happening, and what does this all mean? But in a good story, when you get, by the time you get to the end, that's been closed up. It all fits. Something is said about that, Okay? God is an excellent storyteller. And he has total sovereignty and total control over what's unfolding. And the Bible leaves many, many, many things quite mysterious to us. But in terms of the key outline, God introduces things in the beginning. Things happen. Things occur. And And God is going to show us how many of those things, not all of them, but many of them, will be resolved. So if we read those, and we didn't remember that that ever came up in the beginning, it's not going to be very meaningful to us. But if we do, if we can kind of grab some of that, then that will be helpful for us later on, right? So let's start. We won't be able to finish this tonight. Um, And... uh, I'm not really sure exactly how we're going to, like, will they come charging in here, screaming and shouting like children? Or probably? Okay. Yeah. We'll just, uh, we'll just keep an eye. We'll just kind of go, and then we'll, we'll stop whenever it seems like we should stop. Okay. So let's talk about the story. In general, uh, one of the, there's different ways of thinking about this, but one of the simplest ways of thinking about the different Uh, maybe you want to call them acts, the different uh, parts of the story, humanity part one, uh, is in these four elements. Each of these four is a really key concept within the scripture. And uh, so we're going to talk about them one by one. Creation, and then fall, and then redemption, and then restoration. Sometimes people add more, like they kind of subdivide down a little bit more. Uh, Sometimes they change some of the names, and that's all fine. Uh, but this is what we'll use for our, for our purposes here, okay? What does each of these mean? Well, let's start with creation. 
It is impossible for us to understand the doctrine of future things clearly unless we understand the doctrine of creation clearly. So let's just start at the beginning. And this is where we're finally getting into the text today. Uh, we have here Genesis 1. And I'm, we're not going to read all these, but we will read some of them. So uh, go ahead and as, as, you, as we get to individual verses, we're not going to read an entire chapter, not today anyway. Uh, but as we get to individual verses, feel free to turn to those and I'll have different people read them for us. Okay, so the first thing that happens in the Bible is that God makes the world, he makes the universe, and it's good. Okay, God makes a good world. This is a very, very key step one. The world does not sort of fall out of a hole in nothing and come about by itself. The world is not made by anyone else. That's not a story that people tell so often these days. But for a lot of human history, people would tell a story about humanity that God's good. And then some other jerk came along and made the world. Okay, that is not the story that the Bible tells. And if you look at Genesis 1, uh, right there, I'll just draw your attention to one of the times that this is repeated. I'm sorry, I uh, neglected to cue up my verse here. The first time that God makes something is in uh, verse 4. He makes uh, the light, and it says in verse 4, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated it uh, from the darkness. The very first thing that God does is make something and then praise its goodness. Okay? So that starts us off on this foot. We're all here in the world, and the world isn't bad. What about all that meaningless suffering? If that's, a, that's not a flaw in the design. The world's good. Okay? Secondly, uh, somebody read for us uh, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. This is the only thing about which that is said. Like humanity is the only thing about which that is said. That God made them in his image. So humanity is unique, right? So here we are. Again, let's think about this big picture. Is this world that we're living in just a bunch of things, you know, a bunch of atoms and molecules ramming into each other senselessly? No, no, no. God made it intentionally. And it's good... And what about human beings? I mean, are we just, we just happened to evolve the right capacities to dominate everybody else? And that's all there is to it? No, 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 no. God selected humanity. He made humanity very deliberately unique in his creation. That's going to be really important for us later. Okay? Uh, and then throughout chapters 1 to 3, God lives in a perfect relationship of mutual love with humanity. So God's here, and he's not remote from human beings. He's there with them. He's interacting with them, not only in the moment of creation, but also after that. Right? God's there talking with him. He's interacting with him. It's this warm and loving relationship that extends the character of God that we see later. 
And then in verse 28 and 30 of chapter 1, really, really important. Somebody read these for us, these three verses. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding its seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree that is seed of its fruit. You shall have them for food. For every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant of food. Okay. God puts these people there, and we see this again. We see it recovered again in in chapter two, uh, where he says that he puts them in the middle of the garden to uh, keep it, to tend it, and to keep it. God makes humanity unique. He has this relationship of love, and then he gives human beings a task. Okay, what is the original design purpose? of human beings in the world. We are here, we're made, and then we're given this job. You guys are going to take care of this thing that I've made. You're in charge of it. So I've made this, and I'm putting you in charge. You guys take care of it. That's super important for us. And it's gonna be super important for us in the end, but I'm just gonna say, kind of as a sidebar at the beginning, that is really important for us to understand right now. If, if we really get that, that will have, it can have, a transformative uh, uh, action on the way that we understand and relate to our work. Do you like your job? Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you love your job. Is your job something that you just need to get out of the way so that you can spend more time praying and reading the Bible? Brother, sister, I want to encourage you not to think that way. God did not make our first parents monks. Like that was an option. He could have done that, right? He could have made human beings and said, now you guys sit there and pray and I'll come around and talk to you from time to time. Instead, he made them and he said, now, uh, you know, do something with all this. Just, you know, get, make it, see what you can do with it. It's all there. Go. That's cool. And as we are engaged in beneficial work, work that carries forward God's love for his people in any way, whether it's picking up trash from the street or whether it is saving people's lives on the operating table or anything in between, we are fulfilling our function as human beings. It's going to be important later too. So that's where we start. And that's great. And then immediately, before we can even get part one out the door, part two is the fall of humanity. Where does that go? Well, the first thing is that human beings turn against God. Uh, Nick, can you read for us the first six verses of chapter three? Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, and good as you. So pause there. Right? This is super, super important. What this what the serpent is offering the woman is uh, both a specific capacity, the ability to judge between right and wrong, which until this moment has been committed to God. And secondly, the power to do so, right? The authority, the right to do so. You are going to break free from God's judgments and you'll have them yourself. So read. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Okay. So, there's, I mean, there's depths in these verses. There's a lot here. But essentially what we're looking at is human beings, both the woman and the man together, turning against God and doing so on the premise that his unique role as creator, as, as the one who determines what's going to happen, as the person that has legitimate authority over them, has ended. They are going to take that for themselves. They are going to break out of the, the spot that he's put them in. They're going to determine their own destiny. Okay? That's what happens. And then, as God had said, there are consequences that flow from that. So Jeff, can you read uh, verses 14 to 19 for us in chapter 3? And the Lord God said... Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou, go, shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. So here we have the first effect on human beings. Continue. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be for thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it, all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb, the herb of the earth of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt thou return. Okay, thank you. So previously we have God making things and setting them in order, and then they go, and they're, they're consonant with their design. Things fit together. So here's, for example, the woman who's given the privilege of, of bringing new human life into the world, and that's great, that's all fine, but in the curse, suddenly that role, that kind of central role in terms of the biological design that God's put into people, is suddenly disintegrated from her life. 
Instead of being something that is like this great crowning achievement, it's bound up with fear and death and pain. And then here's the relationship between the, the man and the woman. Instead of them being integrated tightly together as partners, suddenly that's disintegrated. There's hostility between them constantly. And the relationship between the human beings and the, the, the creation that they have responsibility for now suddenly is disintegrated. Instead of them doing the things that they're doing to care for the world around them and it responding properly, nothing seems to work. It's a tremendous amount of effort to make anything happen. That theme of disintegration is going to be really important for us next week. Well, a couple weeks maybe. We'll see when we get to it. And secondly, and you notice what he read at the end, um, all this stuff is going to happen until you die, you go back into the ground, you were made from dust, you're back to dust. And that's death, of course. But there's a strong element of futility in that, right? And when I say futility, what I mean is it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like you do the thing, you create the thing, you accomplish the thing, and, and then you die? Like I just got here. And now I just die? I just made this thing and now it's just falling down? These elements are so deeply woven into the human experience that it can be hard for us to imagine uh, anything without them. But I think the text is very clear. These things flow from the fall. We're going to see lots of other texts later as we pick up on this later on. Here's the situation that people are in. God's creatures, human beings, have become subverted to the goals of his enemy. And so in doing so, they themselves have become enemies. They've, they've listened to God's enemy and they've turned against God. And here's how our Lord puts it in John 8, 44. He says, you, and he's speaking of all these people who are listening to him and are hostile to his message, you are of your father, the devil. How did that happen? How did that happen? God made these people. That they've been subverted. You are of your father, the devil, he says, and your will is to do your father's desires. I, I want you to grab what our Lord is saying here, right? This is part of a long argument that he has with these people over the course of this chapter and this whole section. But in this, in this sentence, our Lord is not directly condemning these people. What, what he's saying in effect is, and he does say this very clearly later on, you can't help it. You, you cannot help acting the way you are acting. You are fundamentally messed up. And who did that? The devil. So, what a disaster! I mean, God just made all these things. He made these people. He put them here. And now everything is just smashed to bits. People are, are pointing the wrong direction and can't be straightened out. And then what you have throughout the Old Testament is this long unfolding account. Humanity is supposed to govern creation, right? Supposed to govern the earth. It cannot even save itself. 
Human beings cannot dig themselves. I mean, forget the earth. <laughs> they can't dig themselves <coughs> out of the hole that they're in. So, and we won't take the time to read all these. Here's Genesis 4. Here's Cain. Eve gives birth to Cain, right? <clears throat> Do you remember what she says when she gives birth to Cain? Yeah, she says, I've, I've got a son from the Lord. Oh, this is great, right? This is great. What we need is a new person. Like we messed it up. That was, that was really terrible. The next generation, they will rescue us. Cain completely is overcome by sin. And that account is so striking in the way that it describes that event. Go back and read that if you have time. The conflict between Cain and sin. All right? So that didn't work. <clears throat> and things get worse and worse. And there's this big disaster. And then God comes and he, he kills all these people because of their wickedness. And he takes the one righteous man, right? There's one righteous guy, Noah. And he takes Noah and he, he pulls him out and he visits judgment on everybody else. And so we're reading this and we're like, hey, this is, okay, great, finally. Because Adam and Eve were messed up and Cain went totally the wrong direction. And then everyone else was just poisoned by their environment and they, they could not escape. But we know Noah is righteous and we know he's a good guy. And, and wait, what are you doing, Noah? Because Noah comes out of judgment and he and his family are fine for like 20 minutes. And then immediately fall into the, the sinful. So the reset didn't work at all. Maybe what we need is to work together. We just work together. We'll be fine. Here are the people. They're working together. We get to chapter 10 in Genesis. Here are the people working together. Chapter 10, chapter 11. What are they doing? They're working together, but they're still poisoned mentally. And so their work together is work to oppose the purposes of God. Like they, they're getting together and it's like, yay, finally, well, well, yeah, well, what are you doing? Stop. And God has to shatter their cooperation to prevent them from becoming even worse. And then we have these patriarchs. God comes to these people, these people who are dedicated to listening to his voice. And he gives them specific callings and specific missions. And they're like, yes, I'm going to serve you, God. And you're like, yeah. And then they almost immediately, it's like they just drive the car like right off the cliff. Like God has to come and catch it. Abraham's like, yes, I have received this promise. I'm going to have a sacred child. Uh, this guy's looking at me shifty. You want to marry my wife? <laughs> right? And God's like, whoa, put it back on the road. It, it's, we can skate right over that and not realize the depth of what is occurring there. The patriarchs represent a, a further evolution in the possibility of human salvation. And they accomplish great things because God rescues them constantly. They're useless on their own. I mean, even these amazing things. Here's Abraham and he's like so powerfully motivated by faith that he is willing to give up everything because of his faith in God. That is amazing. Same guy. Who, who tries to give his wife, the person that was promised to bear the chosen child away? You can't bear the chosen child if it's not your child. Right? Disaster. Disaster. And it just, it just continues. It continues and it continues and continues. You've got priests. Maybe what we need is the right ceremonies. And you have books. You have whole books of the Bible. 
full of the ceremonies that are designed to symbolize these powerful realities to the worshiper and to draw the person up to God. You cannot get through the first one, literally the the same day that they ordained the priests. His sons break the law and they get fried for it. It's horrifying. That didn't work at all. Oh, maybe what we need is more authority. What if we had a king? What if we had a single person in who was collected all of the righteousness and all of the authority and all the power that we needed? What are the kings doing? Bad stuff all the time. And it's the same with the prophets. Here's the prophets. I mean, I just preached a sermon series on Jonah to you guys. None of these, none of these things are helpful at all. Each one, each of these represents a further stage in the attempt of humanity to redeem itself, each one worse and worse. So, the story of humanity is in a bad place. And that is when we come to part three, redemption. And Pastor Nate told me I had 50 minutes or maybe 60, so I I should probably stop here. Because redemption's got more time. Let's stop here. We'll come back and, and pick this up later. But all these elements that we've looked at, all of these, all of these movements, all of these parts in this story are going to be important for us when we get to what happens in the future. And they're important for us now. Um, we as human beings are... Uh, made so perfectly, so remarkably, and shattered so completely. And I, we used to discuss this when we lived in, in China. We used to discuss sometimes, because it's really, it, it, it can be quite confusing. As a person who doesn't have the scriptures, you're like, well, people are, are basically awful, because look at all the awful stuff that they do. Oh, people are basically... Great, because look at all the great stuff they do. How does it fit together? That's where it fits together. Act one, creation. Act two, fall. That's where it fits together. The goodness that God put in us is still there. But it is just wrecked. And that's the life that we live every day. Thank the Lord that this is part of a bigger story. And that it's all going somewhere. We'll pick it up there next week. Let me make a couple comments uh, about how we'll do this. Um, if, you, if you take notes, that would be helpful. I see that some of you took notes today, some of you didn't, but I encourage you to take notes. If you have questions, this is a, a much larger group of people than I anticipated, and that can make it difficult to ask questions. If there's like five people, you're like, I have a question. And then if there's like 50 people, you're like, mm, right? But uh, please feel free to raise your hand and ask a question at any time. Because all these things are kind of uh, up for discussion, for, you know, questioning. If you feel like, what about this thing? Or what about that thing? Or that doesn't make any sense? Or I think you're a heretic. Just, you know, go ahead. Put your hand up. Um, And if you would rather talk to me afterwards, that's fine too. If you want to take your time to compose your thoughts at length and text me or email me, that's fine too. Just want to encourage everyone 
to engage with the material. Um, if you have questions uh, about something that you thought maybe we would talk about, but we haven't talked about, and it seems like we missed the part where we should talk about it, um, then that's also a great one to ask. And uh, if we are going to deal with that later, I'll, I'll let you know. But if not, maybe we can have a, a sidebar conversation. All right. What is our takeaway today? Yes. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Laura. Sure. So we, we don't have, like, we're not dealing with all these in, in great depth. The, the, so when I say power, I don't mean like divine creating power. What I mean is uh, it's, we're talking here clearly about like authority, like who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong. And this is dealt with at great length uh, in the book of Romans in particular, where Paul talks about how uh, in the corruption of sin, humanity is opposed to God. Humanity is fighting against God. And uh, if you want, in fact, there's a really great uh, um, kind of a, a linkage that you can make. Uh, if you start in, in uh, Genesis 3, here's this like rebellion against God. And then you jump forward to Psalm 2. Do you know Psalm 2? The Psalm 2 is uh, the one... Uh, that, that says, why do the, the, uh, the heathens in the King James, I forget what it is in the ESV, why do the heathens rage? Why do the nations rage? And all the people imagine uh, emptiness, vanity. Why do they have this, this empty idea? What idea? They say, let's break God's bonds. Let's pull God's cords off of us, right? That's like, here's God. And he says, here's what everyone's going to do. And all these people on the earth are like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And, uh, and you can see this illustrated in a million places. I mean, I don't know if you were in the Bible reading group, but we just recently read in the Bible reading groups, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and the whole, the whole story of the people from the moment that they leave is this power struggle. It's a constant power struggle. Who is going to say what we're going to do? And uh, so that's really what I'm getting at with that. It, it's not, by that I don't mean an attempt to seize control of the mechanics of the universe, physically, but rather morally. Although I would say that there's, you can make an argument that as in the providence of God, humans have continued the story that started in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. We have continued to return to that theme of organizing and drawing huge power from our organization together, we have, we have moved and sometimes very intentionally individuals have moved in the direction of ever greater technological ability, giving us more control over the mechanics of the universe as well. And uh, I mean, you know, people talk about playing God and stuff like that. That's kind of where that, that fits in. Does that answer your question? Good, other, other questions? Okay, so, uh, where, where do we want to leave it for today? We're kind of in the middle. It's not a perfect place to leave it. But let's, let's leave it here. That you, your Wednesday, 
that you're going to have tomorrow and the people around you and the things that you have to do and that I have to do, our confrontations with sin tomorrow, our interactions with other people tomorrow, these things are not meaningless, brothers and sisters. They have been chosen by God to be points in this universe-spanning creation of human history. And to the degree that we by faith can embrace that and we can say, I'm going to be a human being like God intended to make today. And we've only seen part of that. We've only seen the creation part. The redemption part goes away further. But I'm going to care for what God made today. I'm going to care for the people around me today. I'm going to care for the things around me today. I'm going to live in a relationship of love with God today. To the extent that we're doing that, we are choosing... God gives us this incredible, this incredible uh, role that we can either choose to play or reject in carrying out what he's creating in the world for, for Wednesday. That is an amazing thing. And I want to encourage each of us to take that prayerfully to heart as we go into our day. Know him today. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your love for us. Uh, thank you that we can so confidently uh, speak of your love for us, even from these, these few verses that we've read at the very beginning of the scriptures today about how uh, you made things good and you made us good and you have good in mind. Thank you for the goodness that you have filled this earth with and have filled our lives with. And Lord, uh, as we go through our moments, we can spend a lot of time brushing up against the, the jagged edges left by human brokenness. They're everywhere. But I pray that you would give us grace uh, tomorrow and this week to, by faith, uh, embrace this truth that you made things good and that you have us uh, to play a good part in it in the days to come. I pray that we would do that joyfully knowing that in Christ uh, our work is not in vain. We pray in his name. Amen. You are dismissed.